This morning, I have the, the privilege to, to welcome back uh, to this uh, stage and platform a uh, gentleman who was here last week by the name of Pastor Carlos Sarmiento. He is no longer a guest speaker. He's been here. He's family. And so we're excited to have him. And uh, I just want to open us with a quick prayer, and then uh, Pastor Carlos will take it away. Lord, uh, thank you this morning for the reminder that it is all about you, that you are the main thing. And so, Lord, over the next few minutes, as Pastor Carlos is preaching and we're listening and taking notes and in your word, Lord, keep reminding us that it's about you. It's about your son. It's about Jesus. It is about the soon and coming king. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise. Clap offering in the house. He is worthy of all the glory. Thank you, Bruce Lisa, the worship team. Phenomenal job as always. Really enjoy your worship gift and ministry to the body of Christ. Good to be back with you again this second week. Um, I feel honored back to back, so thank you very much for uh, having me back. My wife and I, we truly enjoyed ourselves last week and uh, really enjoyed the, uh, the impactfulness of God's word that was shared last Sunday, but also the response at the altar call. A wonderful time to be able to pray for the sick. And just pray for people in general. So we're believing for the Holy Spirit to uh, impact our hearts this morning as well. I love the fact that Pastor Scott is leading the church in the study of the book of Psalms. It is by far my favorite book to read in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, every morning I try to start my day and my devotions with a different psalm. And I'm actually currently going through a study of the book of Psalms. It's been, it'll take me several years, but I'm actually breaking down every psalm verse by verse. And as you know, there's 150 of them, so it'll take quite a bit of time. So I love the fact that we get to share uh, from the book of Psalms uh, today as well. In 2005, I had a powerful encounter with the Lord. And uh, if you want to know more about that, you can look it up on the Internet. Just uh, uh, do a Google search. Uh, uh, Sid Roth, It's Supernatural. I was uh, interviewed on the program regarding the encounter that I had with the Lord. And in that encounter, there was a core value that has really been downloaded into our hearts. It's affected the ministry. It's transformed the ministry and what we do today. And one of the core values that was revealed in that encounter was the urgency of the hour that we're living in and the importance of understanding the end times, understanding the reality that Jesus is coming back. And he is going to establish a kingdom. And so I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. Last week I talked about God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of judgment. And we shared how his judgments will be released in the last days. This morning I want to talk about how the Psalms reveal are in complete agreement that the king is coming. Amen. Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he is coming. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence we thank you for the awareness of the Lord's presence in our midst. We welcome you in this house. You're the great teacher. You are the great revelator. And we ask you this morning, open eyes, open ears, touch hearts. And we ask that simply Jesus be magnified and Jesus be glorified. Not a singer, not a musician, not a speaker, but only Christ and Christ alone. We ask you to draw us nigh to him and he to us so that we become more like him and truly await with great expectation the soon return of our coming king. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. All right. So I know you have your notes out there, but if you can also take your Bibles, uh, unless you have a digital version or if they're going to show it on, on the screen. Matthew 24. I'd like to begin, if I can, in Matthew 24, and then we'll dive into the notes here. I'm not sure I'll get through all of them, but you can take them home with you. Eschatology, the study of the last days. I've been studying eschatology quite uh, often for the last 17 years. I think it's critically important to understand God's plan for the hour. There is going to be a generation that's going to experience all that Jesus taught regarding his return. I said last week there's over 150 chapters in the, in the Bible that primarily speak of the end times, primarily speak of the Lord's return. And so if there's 150 chapters all throughout Scripture, this is actually more than that, where the primary context, the primary message or the theme of each of those chapters is the return of our Lord, I think it's important that we would understand these signs and these truths. As a matter of fact, Jesus was asked in Matthew 24, tell us, what is the sign of your return? And when will all these things happen? And in Matthew 24, if we can look there at verse number 4, he gives them the first sign. We're going to go over verse 4, verse 15, and verse 25, and then we'll dive into our notes. Verse 4, after Jesus being asked about some of the signs of his return, he said this in verse number 4. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. One of the major signs, the first sign that Jesus gives is deception. And I think we can clearly see there is massive deception in all the earth. And unfortunately, even within mainline denominational churches where the word of God is being diluted. And there's deception regarding biblical truths that have been established for thousands of years since the beginning of time. Since the word of God was released, since the Torah came out. Since the, since the books of Moses were established, since the writings of the apostles. And there's an attempt right now to change the word of God. And when the word of God is changed, the doctrines of his word are also changed. The doctrine of his coming is changed. And what begins to happen is that people begin to lose expectation about his coming return. Paul warned the, uh, the people of Ephesus, and he warned Timothy. He says, Timothy, make sure that you are focusing on doctrine. You're teaching it. And don't allow the people to be deceived regarding the second coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he dedicated two full books, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, to make sure that the Thessalonians were not deceived. After just spending three weeks in Thessalonica, he wrote these books because people were confused about the coming of the Lord. And so he wrote them to make the record straight. And he made it very, very clear that when Jesus comes, there are certain things that have to be fulfilled first before, they can come, before he can come. And so he says here, don't let anyone deceive you. Look at verse number 15. In verse 15, continuing this theme about the signs of his time and when he will return, he says, therefore... When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write this, whoever reads, let him understand. 
Whoever reads, let him understand. Now, Daniel had a revelation 600 years before Jesus about the last days. And part of that revelation was that one day there would be a man that would rise up, the Antichrist, and he would declare himself to be God. He would have supernatural powers, incredible political influence. He would deceive many nations. You know, the very first time that Emily and I, that we went to Israel, you know, we asked our tour guide because I was excited. I couldn't believe that I was actually in Israel. And I wanted to know more about their, their belief about who Messiah was and, you know, and their belief about Christ and, or about his return because they believe in a Messiah. They believe that one day a Messiah will come and bring salvation and deliverance to Israel. And I was shocked to hear what the tour guide said. The tour guide said, actually, we don't care who the Messiah is. We don't care if he's a Muslim. We don't care if he's a Jew. We don't care if he's a Christian. All we want is peace. And if a Muslim can bring us peace, we will accept him as our Messiah. And so it is clear that there's a day and an hour where there's going to be massive global deception. And Jesus gives us Matthew 24 to prepare us. Now he said, when you see. That means there's going to be a people that are believers in Christ that are going to be here on the earth to see this. Now, beloved, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to the fathers of the church, the apostles. There will be believers on the earth when all this plays out. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has given us this insight so that we can not only prepare ourselves, but prepare the body and prepare the nations of the earth. Jump down to verse 25. In verse 25, Jesus says this. See, I have told you these things beforehand. I've told you this. In other words, make sure that you are aware of what I have revealed to you. Make sure that you understand. If it's not us, it may be the generation behind us. It may be our grandchildren. It may be the a generation soon after us that may experience all of these things. And we need to make sure that we pass down a spiritual baton that will prepare the church to face whatever pressure she is called to face. Jesus said, that the Bible says, it is written in, in, the, in Timothy, whoever desires to live a godly life will suffer tribulation. We go through hardship. We go through times of testings. We go through difficulties. And I think we can see all over the nations of the earth, even in the great USA, that our faith is being tested and it's being tried. Not only from outside, from within as well. We're seeing pressure from within. And I believe that if we would understand these signs, we would be better prepared not only to face them, but to also overcome them and pass down a spiritual baton to a younger generation that they would be overcomers in the day of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. Let's go to our notes. Psalm 24, verse 7 and 10. That's a scripture, the psalm. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift up the everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. 
He is the King of glory. Now, this scripture has been fulfilled at least twice or partially fulfilled. When David brought in the Ark of the Covenant for the very first time into the city of Jerusalem, they brought in the Ark symbolizing the throne of Christ and the dominion of Christ, the government of Christ, brought into the city of Jerusalem, and the glory of the Lord resided there in Judah, in Jerusalem, as a result of David bringing the ark into the presence of God, celebrating and with shouts of praise and David dancing. It was also fulfilled, partially fulfilled, when Jesus came into the city on Palm Sunday and the people were crying out and they were worshiping, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. But Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders. And Jesus said to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the scribes, to the, to, the, to the lawyers, to the Sanhedrin. He says, truly, this city will not celebrate me. This city will not accept me. This city will not receive me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you go to Jerusalem today, the eastern gate is sealed. It is shut. But one day... It will be unsealed. As if a sealed gate can hold back Jesus from entering the city. But one day, Jesus will also make his way from the Mount of Olives. And he'll go down the Kidron, cross the Kidron Valley and make his way through the eastern gate. And he will take his place on his throne there in the city of Jerusalem. And it will be fulfilled in that day that the people of Israel and believers all across the nations of the earth, they will celebrate this event because the Bible says every eye shall see him. I, I, you know, some say, well, it's going to be CNN and Fox News. They're going to be there. And, you know, the whole world is going to help fulfill Scripture. The media will fulfill Scripture to help see through satellite television and, you know, on your iPhones or whatever to see the coming of the Lord. I don't doubt that. But I'm telling you, God does not need CNN or Fox News in order for the whole world to see him. Amen. Amen. This is going to be an event that nobody will forget. This will be an event the Bible says as lightning flashes from the, across the sky from east to west. That's how it's going to be. Jesus is called or Jeho Jehovah is called the cloud rider in the Old Testament. He always revealed his glory coming in clouds of power and might and thunder and lightning. And I'm telling you, we're going to see a cloud like we've never seen before. And when he returns, I promise you, the whole world will never forget what that event is going to look like. Look at point number one. We're going to see here seven, uh, seven points or seven truths, basic truths of some of the things that will take place when Jesus returns. Point number one. There's a people that are longing for the appearance of our Lord. Our transformation into his likeness is the very thing that will cause divine satisfaction. I don't think if you're truly a lover of the Lord, I don't think you can be truly satisfied with the, with the way the condition of human life is right now. Because there's a promise, and the promise is this, that when we see him, we will be satisfied. There's a day coming when these bodies, this corruption will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. And from that day forward, 
we're going to experience a joy unspeakable and full of glory that we can't have any understanding, right, on this side of eternity. But the day will come when Jesus returns. He'll change us. He will transform us. 1 John chapter 3 says this, Beloved, that we, right now we are the children of God. Even though it has not yet been revealed what we're going to be like, but we do know this, that when we see him, we will be like him. When we see him, we will be like him. And in, there, is a, there, is a, there is a, I believe, a supernatural longing that Holy Spirit is beginning to deposit into the church. And, the church, and, the, and, and this longing is this. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I believe the greatest revelation of the last days is going to be this, in the body. That we're not just sons of God. That we're not just the daughters of God. That we're not just the servants of God. But that we're also the bride of Christ. The greatest revelation of who Jesus is to the body of Christ is still yet to be revealed. There will be a generation that's going to walk in first love. Jesus never said, hey guys, this is a good, this is a good idea. You should love me. If you want things to go well in your life, learn to love me. As a matter of fact, he says, no, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And for the Bible to say in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus. Why would the Bible record the spirit and the bride? A bride requires a husband. If there's a bride, you have to have a husband. And if the church is having the revelation that we are the bride of Christ, that means one day we're going to become lovesick. We're going to have a major crush on Jesus once again. The church has got to return back to loving God with all her heart, all her mind, all her soul, and all her strength. And only the Holy Spirit can do that, beloved. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. I used to read that, you know, when I first came to the Lord. Carlos, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I began to realize, no, as I allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the love of God in my heart, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad upon our hearts. I began to realize that as I allowed God to reveal his love first for me, his love would heal me. And his love would transform me, and then he would help me to love him. And if I love God, then I'm a better husband. I'm a faithful husband. If I love God, I'll be a faithful dad, a good dad. If I love God, I will be a faithful servant of the Lord. And then his word will become really precious to me. He said, Jesus says, my yoke, my burden, my yoke is, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. It's not difficult. The key is loving God. If we love God, it isn't difficult to obey the Lord. Because when you're lovesick and you're ruined like Mary of Bethany, no sacrifice is too great. We will gladly surrender all, give them all. And I believe there's a day coming. The church is going to walk in that. And they're going to be longing for his presence. Matthew 9 verse 15. 
can the friends of the bridegroom, there Jesus recognizes himself as a bridegroom again. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn or grieve long sorrow after him as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the church will realize the bridegroom is no longer with them once they're tired of their Christian religion, once they're tired of their church traditions, and they realize that I can only satisfy them. When that day happens, the Bible says, Jesus says, then they will fast for him. I don't think, I don't think the majority of the body of Christ in the West is at that place yet. I think we treasure our American dream more than we do the kingdom of God dream. I think we value more the comforts of this life. Jesus looked at a rich young ruler. He says, if you really want to be perfect, go and sell all that you, ha you have and come and follow me. Jesus knew that young man was possessed by many things. Possessions possessed him. And I believe one of the greatest mark in the last days, it will be a people. And we're going to see it in America as well. We're going to see a love sick church in America where Jesus truly is number one in our lives. I long to see that. Amen. When that happens, beloved, we're going to see massive awakening throughout the nations of America, the nation of America. We're going to see cities turned upside down. Why? Because a church is thriving. The church is not jealous, not divided, not, not accusational, not divisive. Church is protective of one another. We're going to see that take place. Number two, when Jesus returns, he'll bring an end to the rule of all wickedness. Hallelujah. I mean, if you can say amen to that. Can you imagine living life without any temptation? No regrets about anything. No regrets about your husband. No regrets about you marrying that woman. No regrets about this. No regrets about that. No temptations. When Jesus returns, he will bring an end to all wickedness. The earthly powers will be confronted. And all the enemies of Israel and all the enemies of the church will forever be banished by God's eternal judgment that is still yet to come when Jesus returns. We don't like to think about this, but it's going to take the Lord's judgments and his wrath to cleanse the earth of all evil. Psalm 9.5 says this, You have rebuked the nations, you have destroyed the wicked, and you've blotted out their name forever and ever. Beloved, forever and ever means forever and ever. E wickedness, darkness, powers of evil, evil men, evil mindsets, schemes will be banished for all of eternity when the king returns. He's going to deal with those who've been messing, messing with his bride. Amen. Thank God for that. Our brothers and sisters across the face of the earth that are going through massive persecution and massive tribulation. The Lord's aware of that. He's aware of their suffering. He's aware of what they're going through. Now, they have a great reward for being faithful even unto death. But yet, nonetheless, understanding this should give you and I incredible hope that even though it looks like right now darkness has the upper hand, the reality is this. In the end, darkness will be judged 
Titus 2.13 says this, looking unto the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of us are really looking forward to the coming of the Lord? We should be longing for his return, crying out for his return. Point number three, not only the earthly powers, but the spiritual powers will also be susceptible to God's wrath and final judgment at the second coming of Christ. His hordes of demons, the Antichrist, the false prophet will all suffer an eternal judgment that will be decreed against them in the end times. Psalm 149, verse 7 through 9. To execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. And to execute upon them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints of God. Not only earthly kings, but spiritual kings. Spiritual powers. We know that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Against rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in heavenly places. That's our warfare. But one day, not only the earthly wicked powers are going to be dealt with, but the spiritual powers will be dealt with. Revelation 20, there in your notes, decrees Satan's final uh, uh, fate. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven who had the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire with brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they are tormented forever and ever. Now there's a thousand year period between verse 1 and verse 10. A thousand years he's thrown into the bottomless pit. He's allowed to be loose for a short season. And then all of a sudden at the end, when the fathers, right before the father thrones come down, you know, Jesus will establish a kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years, restore earth. Then the father will come down at the end of the 1,000 years. And the eternal kingdom begins. Beloved, this stuff excites me. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. And how we live on this side of eternity will determine our place in God's kingdom. Think about that. How we live, how we choose to live now will determine our place in eternity. Jump down to point number four. I got to hurry up here. Revelation 21. I saw heaven and earth for the very first time and for, because the first earth and the earth and the, and the heavens passed away. Also, there was no more sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven. Like from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with him. With them. And he will be their God. For how long? That is forever. We see there in Psalm 93, his throne is established from old, from ever, for everlasting. The earth is established for everlasting. It cannot be moved. This earth will never be destroyed. It will be renewed and restored to Garden of Eden, you know, environmental blessings, eternal blessings. It's not just going to be one little garden. It will be the whole earth. Father returns and establishes his kingdom. Point five reveals that when Jesus comes, 
He's coming back as a man. There's a man that's coming to rule and reign. Psalm 2, 6 and 7. I've set my king on my holy hill in Zion. Zion is another way of saying either the city of David or Jerusalem. The father has a plan. And his plan is to include his son. His son is going to come to rule and reign as a human being. And that's what gives us hope. Because God gave the earth to a man, Adam. And he failed. It took a second Adam to come. And the reason why that gives you and I hope is because we are human beings. And it takes a human being to provide eternal life for other human beings. And that was Jesus. And because of his victory, it's now our victory. Because of him overcoming, we overcome. And because he has a glorified, resurrected human body, we also will have a glorified, resurrected human body. Because a man overcame Satan. A man overcame hell. It was a man. And as a man, he has every right to pass down his victory to us. Point six. I already shared that a little bit, the importance of being faithful. Because how we serve the Lord on this side of eternity will determine the kind of place or the place of authority and influence in all of eternity. It says there in Psalm 110, verse 1 through 3, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send the rod of his strength out of Zion, that's Jerusalem. He will rule in the midst of his enemies. And your people, your people will be willingly serving you or volunteers in the day of your power. Now, I don't know about you, but I want a high place in that place. I want to have a good position. I want, to, I, want to, I want by the grace of God to sell out. You know, the average life in America is 70, it's 78, 77.8 years. Men live 77.7, women live 77.9 years, the average U.S. lifespan. So women, got us, they got us by like two months or something like that. But think about that. So what's, what is 77 years in comparison to eternity? I, try, I worked out that timetable. The Bible says one, one day is like how many years? A thousand. And 1,000 years is like one day. So one day is equal to how many hours? 24. So 24 hours is 1,000 years. So work with me. 24 hours, 1,000 years. How many is 12 hours? 500 years, right? What is 6 hours? 250 years. What is 3 hours? 125 years. Do you know what 77.8 years is according to that time frame? 1 hour, 48 minutes, and 54 seconds. God has given you 1 hour... 48 minutes and 54 seconds. How are you going to spend that time? That's how, that's how short life is. And we're putting all our baskets into one hour and 48 minutes and 54 seconds. For what? At the expense of losing eternal rewards? Jesus says we will be rewarded. He says it right there. In Daniel, in Revelation 2, and he who overcomes, he who overcomes, he says, I will give power over the nations. And he'll rule with me. 
love it. This is not something that, oh, this is a nice teaching. You know, this one day that might happen. You know, maybe that's a, an allegorical par, par, a parable picture. No, it's a true. It's true. It's going to happen. You and I are going to rule and reign. But our place will be dependent on how we live this life. How well do we love? How faithful were we to the Lord? Amen? And last but not least, point number seven. When Jesus returns, he will fulfill his covenant promises to the people of Israel that God made regarding their homeland. That covenant includes a promise given to King David that Jerusalem will forever be the capital kingdom of God and that Christ will rule the earth from the city of Jerusalem. Amen? Jesus will rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem. So let's bow our heads if we can for a quick moment. I pray that this teaching here this morning, this short exhortational word about the last days, helps us to really focus our lives on all of eternity. Sometimes we're tempted, we're distracted with this or with that. But the Lord wants us, he wants us to be so focused on his plans for these last days that we sell out to him. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would release, oh God, a spirit of urgency over your people here at Pine Castle United Methodist Church. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their service. But I thank you like we learned last week that you are a God of justice and that you desire for us to have burden for the, burden for the lost. That we would remind the lost or the, our backslidden brothers and sisters that there's a day of accountability coming. And that also, Lord God, you remind us that truly the coming of the Lord is something that we must keep in mind so that we can learn to live in the proper perspective. Give us the right mindset. Give us the right eternal perspective so that, Father, we would be found faithful. And when we stand before you and you return, that each of us would be able to hear the words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the blessed joy of the Lord your God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a quick moment. If there's someone in here, just by chance, you don't know for sure that you're ready to meet the king. You don't know for sure that you're ready to meet the Lord. You don't know for sure that if you die today, you're guaranteed, you're guaranteed to be in this presence. We're not going to have anyone come down. We're not going to embarrass anybody. But if that's you, if you don't know for sure, just quickly slip up your hand. Anybody here? Anyone at all. Maybe you're online and you're watching and you're not, you're not ready, you're not sure that you're ready to meet the Lord. Just ask the Lord to come into your heart. Father, I just pray right now for anyone that doesn't know for sure, but Lord, that you prepare their hearts to give themselves wholly unto you, fully unto you, that we would be faithful servants until the day of your return. I thank you for the Psalms. And I thank you that your word clearly tells us that you're a king and you're coming back for your people. And you're coming back to fulfill your covenant promises. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe that in the house this morning.